This podcast is brought to you by the members of the Naval Institute. Since 1873, the Naval Institute has provided an open forum for thoughtful discussion of the most important issues facing the sea services and national security. Become a member today. Go to www.usni.org join. Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Naval Institute's Director of Outreach and Marketing. Joining me is my co-host, the Proceedings Editor-in-Chief, Bill Hamlet. Hello, Bill. Hey, Ward. Well, we have a special guest this episode, so why don't we get right to him? Joining us today from the Pentagon is the Master Chief Petty Officer of the Navy, Russ Smith. So, Mick Pond, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. We were supposed to do this about two weeks ago, and then coronavirus got in the way we were planning to talk to you about mental health and mental resiliency, about suicide prevention, PTSD, uh, and then coronavirus happened. So tell us a little bit about how that's impacted you and your schedule, your staff. Uh, well, I went from traveling about, on average, 290 days a year, and I was starting to slow down on that. I had a plan anyway. Uh, I have a hard time saying no when people ask to, to see see me come out uh, and see what they're doing. Um, but I uh, I went from that pace to zero, uh, literally in the space of a weekend. So I came back from New Zealand. Um, we did, uh, we went over to do testimony and they canceled it on the Hill uh, that Thursday. Uh, that Thursday night, we started our austerity measures that have continued to, in some places, get more tight as time has gone on. Um, and then Friday, night i was still planning to take a trip that i was going to do on monday down in norfolk and by saturday afternoon Cena and i talked and just realized this was it, they really meant let's go ahead and stop everything and by monday we'd announced that that no one was going anywhere for at least the next 60 days which puts us out to about 11 may so the training the selection boards the um the the leadership classes that that ceos XOs, CMCs, and major commanders get before they head out to the fleet, all that is off. Uh, it's on pause. So uh, it's had a huge impact uh, on the way we communicate because the way we're used to communicating is face-to-face. -face. And so social distancing and doing stuff like this is, you know, the this is for, for, the, for the time being, it's our new norm. So if you're walking around the halls of the Pentagon, What's it look like there? Or is it sort of port and starboard that people are working from home one day? and You just don't see people. I, I Coming in today, normally around lunchtime, uh, if you saw, if you were walking around the P-Ways, um, you would see a ton of people walking around everywhere. There's just nobody here. I mean, it's uh, they're actually counting Navy swipes. And I think we're just over half our workforce uh, is swiping in on any given day in the Pentagon. So... Um, it's, we're, we've taken it to heart. You know, I know that we've broken up into shift work in different places, staggered our arrivals and departures so as to have as little overlap, uh, with even the few people we do have coming in. There's three of us here today in my office of eight. And, uh, um, I came in at a different time than, uh, Master Chief Ruiz and, and Senior Chief McCarroll. So we're doing everything that they're asking us to do to maintain that distance and, and connect remotely. The good news is in spending 
between my time at N1 and the travel I've done in this job, I've learned a lot about how to work remotely. Um, so it's not really has been a big a challenge to stay connected, except for that part that matters the most, which is that face-to-face appearance. When uh, Because I had returned from overseas travel, after I'd been back three days, they came up with a new policy that said if you were on Oconus travel, you have to stay away from the Pentagon for 14 days. I pushed back a little bit um, and then got reminded about responsibility for everyone. So I went home and I spent 14 days at home. Um, but the CNO did a video and one of the, I got a lot of questions and notes from friends uh, going, why weren't you in the video with the CNO? And is he mad at you? What's going on? I was like, no, I'm just, I'm on house arrest until, uh, until I've been gone for, or been back 14 days. So um, I came back this Tuesday and we actually did a press event um, one of your correspondents was there. Uh, I actually gave her some, cause there's a lot of good things sailors are doing to sort of lean into this and keep the train moving, um, because national defense can't take a knee. And so figuring out how to continue to do what we do in this new environment, there's a lot of stories that in that short press event, we just couldn't talk about. So I was telling one of my friends who's a civilian, a high school buddy of mine, that the Navy hires about 40,000 new people per year. You know, so the number of new accessions coming in through officer programs and going through Great Lakes through Recruit Training Center, you know, 40,000 a year, that's a thousand, roughly a thousand a week, right? And so what's happening up at, uh, at RTC at Great Lakes? And I, I, we heard, we, we saw a couple of stories that the graduation at boot camp was without families for the first time. And now has the accession slowed down at all? Or are we still bringing, you know, young kids in from across America? So to start from the beginning of the supply chain, the recruiters are still working. Uh, there's a lot that they can do using the virtual recruiting tool and, and phone calls, and they make they do a lot virtually anyway to, because we have less recruiters than would it be optimal. And so they kind of have to maximize the resources, and that includes the phones, the internet, um, and lots of other sources. So um, they, they're still doing the groundwork. There is going to be some face-to-face closing that – um, I'm sure they're trying to noodle through right now and how do they keep that moving. But the people we've written contracts for and that we, we want to ship, we're committed to shipping them. So uh, we can handle less right now production. So recruit arrives at Great Lakes. They hold them in that uh, restricted maneuver, uh, ROM period, we're calling it, for 14 days before we start them to make sure that everybody that starts is safe to train. So once that 14-day hits, we start them. Uh, and then off they go. So um, the recruit division commanders um, who go, who were going to go back and forth between their families uh, and ostensibly society and the recruits made no sense. If you're going to rom these recruits and then start them when you have continued exposure to people on the outside, if you're going to call them safe to train in an enclosed environment. Uh, so now the RDCs are going to get underway with their recruits and they're going to stay on RTC uh, for the length of time that they're in boot camp in order to keep that moving. Production has fallen. Uh, I give you a number. Please don't beat me up if it's not exact, but from about 750 to about 500 to give you an idea of the, of the slowdown in volume. Uh, Is that per week? That per week, yes, sir. And so we're continuing to get people through, um, but we've already gone out and we've asked for on the other end of this because we know that volume is going to drop at least temporarily. Um, we've asked people that want to stay that 
had either retirement uh, or just separation pending. If they wanted to revisit that and stay with us for a bit longer, uh, they're able to. Um, you know, what we're trying to avoid is, you know, the, the thing no one likes is stop loss, which is we're going to keep you past the end of your contracted date. So a lot of, lot of rumors out there about PCS, particularly, you know, as we're coming into the summer season, lots of PCSs normally happen. Uh, so what, what's happening? What, what are the plans now for some, the summer PCS um, season, if you will? Are people being held at their current commands? I think that uh, there's a couple of different directions this is going to go, and I think we're not going to really know uh, until probably around the 1st of May really where we're going to be able to take this. It just depends on, you know, the president said he wants to open the country up in limited scale for business uh, as the health situation allows starting on around the 13th of April. Um, we've gone out to the 11th of May and said no one's moving for those 60 days uh, unless there is some sort of, you know, exigent need that drives it. And so we've, we've got those processes in place where people who must move will still move. Um, but for the rest, we haven't. Um, if we remain in this type of situation longer, uh, I would never want to speak for the chief enabled personnel, but I, I imagine we would have to open up those restrictions just a bit to include more folks that we would have to move while still restricting people on larger scale who just would like to move. It's their turn. It's their time. Um, so if there is some sort of, again, some sort of driving need that that means we have to PCS this person. I think that that's going to be how we'll get around this if we have to stay in this type of operating environment longer. Um, you know, we've been here before, too. We've run out of PCS funds and not moved people in the last fiscal uh, in the last quarter of the fiscal year. And that's right about now or what we're coming up on. So we, we've done this before and we can do it again. It's just uh, it's health driving this rather than fiscal constraint. So, Mick Bond, you were talking about the availability you did with USNI News, among other media outlets and sailors leaning into the problem. What what were some of the elements of that? Uh, in addition to what the RDCs wanted to do up at boot camps so they could continue, you know, safely training recruits, we've got sailors that have skills. I might have a YNC or a BMC who has decided that the medical profession is something they want to do when they retire. And so they've earned an LVN or an RN or, or other certifications and credentials that um, might help us right now. We have MAs who are also EMTs. Um, we have people with training that might be able to assist with the coronavirus response in a way that their rating might not imply. And so we're doing a lot to canvas and we're finding quite a few sailors, especially in the reserves, because as you know, they're our real hidden secret. They have so many talents because they don't often do in the Navy what they do in civilian life. And we've got a ton of professionals that are willing to donate and step up uh, and help us in ways that we didn't even know we were capable of using and leveraging. So um, things like that, um, looking at what we've got and may have an excess that the civilian community may need and following all processes and procedures to potentially, you know, turn some of that gear over for use uh, in hospitals and places like that. Um, we've got a lot of good people working hard. And, you know, honestly, this is where the the strength of the chief petty officer should really benefit the organization. Our job is to figure out how to take constraints, you know, not an optimal environment, but one constrained by, you know, whatever someone throws at us and just figure out how to get it done. You know, the message to Garcia, I, I don't want to know the how, just get it done. And that's what we do. 
What are you hearing from the crews on Comfort and Mercy? Um, I know they're underway and they're moving, and I know that the I think it's the Mercy that's going into LA, um, and I think Comfort's going up to New York. There was some concern initially before they sailed um, that they were going to be asked to re- be the response vehicle for for uh, COVID ID nineteen, but they're not. They're they're open bay. They're intended as combat triage to support Marines um, in ground combat uh, or ship casualties in mass, you know, that's, that's what they're built for. They're not built to fight infectious disease. They don't have the ability to isolate, um, the way you kind of need to. So what we're seeking to do is take your trauma victims and other things that we can treat and we can treat well off the civilian community hands. So it frees up capacity in local hospitals to treat the, the virus. Uh, and what are you hearing from the, the force in terms of mental health and resiliency? I'm still watching the Naval Forces Europe and Africa um, Facebook Live event that they're doing. And Admiral Fogo and Admiral Franchetti just talked about this very same thing. Uh, I sent a note out to the mess. I think it was last week. We now more than ever uh, checking up on people, observing social distancing, but um, checking up on buddies and making sure that everybody's okay is really, really important. With so many of us disaggregated and alone, especially when you watch some of the media coverage and there's a tendency to, to lose a little bit of hope or optimism, um, I think there's a lot of reasons for hope and optimism that just aren't getting talked about in the places that sailors are going to be drawn to most, uh, our TV and our social media. And so checking up on each other and reminding each other of where we actually stand today, I think is critically important. You know, we started these measures two weeks ago today. When I see on the news, you know, cases are on the rise and, you know, it's spreading. It's like, well, we hadn't taken any of the steps that we'd taken yet. And they know that the the virus has a 14 day incubation period. And so to, to get a baseline of where you stand today you need to do two things. One, you need to wait that 14 days out to see how that may have impacted the curve. And two, you have to be able to test more people. And if without a, a good representative ta- sampling size, you know, statistically, you can't get an, any sort of accurate number uh, as to what community spread actually looks like. And we won't know what co- community spread looks like under these measures until it's been 14 days since they've been implemented. So we're just now going to start to be able to get usable data And so when you see the news stories that have people freaking out, I feel like my job is to be is to say, calm down, be patient. Let's see where this goes. Follow the laws and rules because they're there to prevent the kind of thing that we saw happen in Italy and Spain and in France. Um, And if we can get ahead of this through these measures, we can return to a situation of normal much more quickly because while we've been stalling this, overwhelming of the medical system by observing these measures, we've given the medical establishment the time and opportunity to prepare to get the ventilators they need, the masks they need, the supplies they need to treat it effectively, because more people than not are probably going to get infected. They keep saying that. Um, The point is to not have everybody get sick at once. Um, And so I think that what we're doing is, I think we're going to find when we get actual usable data, um, that it's going to be a better news story than than some would like to see because I know that bad news sells well. You mentioned what uh, Admiral Fogo and, and Frank Ketty were just talking about and their isolation concerns. On the other side, it's it's the fleet piece, which, you know, a crew, especially on a small boy, 
doesn't really have a the luxury of of social distancing. So, without getting into current events, what what are the CNOs concerns? What are you guys? What is your role in uh, in providing advice methodologies? Sir, as you well know, most ships and operational units have this thing they do called cleaning stations, cleaning quarters, happy hour, whatever you call it. But most units spend about an hour a day dedicated to nothing but cleaning. Everything comes to a stop. And other than safe navigation of the ship and providing power and water, uh, everyone cleans. And, you know, using disinfectants and bleaches to ensure that we keep our workspaces clean is critical. Um Making sure that we um, uh, we pull into places that we think are safe based on, you know, what we get from the CDC and from many other uh, entities that provide us that medical intelligence is, is critical. Uh, when we pull back out, we're not going to pull back into somewhere until we've had 14 days. Um, we are getting, I think the CNO said the other day on the presser, Trident crews are spending 14 days together getting to love on each other a little bit before they head out to see, to ensure that they're not sailing out with anything hidden amongst them. And so taking those kind of measures is important. When you sail out and you know you're safe to train, it's a little easier to be in, you know, on the bridge and a bridge watch team. You know, you're not going to be able to necessarily, as you said, spend uh, that six feet apart. But ships are also highly compartmentalized. And while a carrier may have somewhere around 3,800 separate discrete depart, uh, compartments. You can't use them all, but there is actually a way to get away from people and, and put a little distance in between you. It makes things like chow in, in, infinitely harder and uh, how you rotate people through to get food and things, but doing the best they can inside the environment they can. That's also why we're not going to be overly prescriptive from DC and tell a unit CEO how to do things because the person who knows how to best Flex commander's intent is that CO at the at the at the deck plate. She or he is going to make the call on what makes sense for their unit. Well, you mentioned the uh, the the chiefs are, are key, obviously, in all things. Um, and in terms of attitudes in this environment, I'm just thinking of you know some of my squadrons and some of the chiefs that had to show a little tough love to the malingerers uh, in in the various work centers. What? Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> so if 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 a, a problem child shows up and says, I think I'm sick, I don't think I can do night check tonight. You know, we are in sort of somewhere between a special circumstance where maybe consideration is due and getting the job done. What, mm-hmm. what would your advice be to, uh, to your peers with respect to that kind of challenge? So I know our, our ship's crews are, you know, all of our unit level crews have been issued guidance from medical on all those key things to, to, to talk about, as you pointed out, maybe in a roundabout way, the flu, allergies, other things don't stop. Somebody could show up and say, hey, I don't feel good. And frankly, this uh, COVID-19 thing has me freaked out. I might, I might have it. We know what to ask. We know that in addition to the runny nose, uh, in addition to the, the dry cough, maybe at first, you know, there's a fever component to this that really breaks it out from, say, allergies. Um, and there are other things that as we step through and say, all right, you might be somebody I'm going to send down to medical. And then somebody in medical is going to take a look at them uh, and then make the determination whether to test. Because of the coronavirus, it's not going to be, well, fine, you don't have to work night check. You can just go home. Um, Somebody gets that, they're going to go get a medical test, uh, and we're going to make sure that they're either safe or not safe. And if it's allergies, hey, pal, fight through it. Um, If it's 
if it's COVID-19, I, I don't need you here because, frankly, I, I got to keep everybody else safe. How's it going getting testing kits out to the fleet? Um, I got to be honest, I don't have as much depth as I would love to have on that. I know where I think about a week away, uh, Surgeon General mentioned it during the presser um, of having test kits uh, out in the in all the places we think we need them. They're They're readily available in many places, not ubiquitous yet but it's getting there um, because we have to have that ability uh, to test and ensure that we have people that are either safe or not and, and identify those that aren't and isolate them. Hey, I wanted to ask you, this is a question I was going to ask you two weeks ago when we were trying to get you on the show and then before coronavirus became the problem it is now, but I think it's still appropriate, particularly as you mentioned, uh, the, the increased importance now of checking in on each other, right? Of uh, not, you know, it's not, and it's not always just seniors to juniors, right? I mean, the chief's mess is critical to this with their sailors, uh, but you were a command master chief on a DDG. You were a command master chief at a couple other big shore commands, including the Naval Academy. Um, we saw a, a tragic event, a shipmate, somebody who I'd served with a long time ago, uh, Vice Admiral Sterney, who was the fifth fleet commander who took his own life about a year and a half ago. Um, I'm just curious your perspective on the role within the triad or of the senior enlisted, the command master chiefs, of checking in on the commander or checking in on the CO. Like, I mean, it, sometimes it's hard to um, sort of manage up a little bit in that way in the Navy. What are your thoughts on that? So, you know, I, I would have probably echoed those same statements um, and, and posed that same question the way you did um, four or five years ago. But... I really feel like um, the post-millennials, the millennials, the post-millennials, the, the generations that have followed Generation X, uh, like me, that are still uh, still love our, our hierarchy and understand it and embrace it, you know, in very traditional ways. I don't think young people have any compunction about asking, hey, boss, you feel all right today? You know, or calling me. I've gotten so many emails, messengers, and I don't feel like it's some measure of a sycophant trying to suck up. I feel like it's it's really people who are genuinely concerned and saying, hey, you doing all right? I can imagine what you're balancing. And, you know, especially folks that are out there on the waterfront, like, well, you're balancing a lot more because you have to maintain our national security in spite of what's going on and concerns for your family back home and everything else. So, I do that too, and I, I've never felt like I was a suck up if I asked, you know, how, how are you doing, boss? Um, but that has to become our norm. And as much as I talk about it, I don't think I'm responsible for um, the way younger sailors are responding. I think that's just who they are, and they're okay with um, stepping around that more traditional hierarchy of, well, I can't ask my boss how he's doing, that would be inappropriate. You know, I, I certainly would have felt that way as a young sailor. I don't think they feel that way. And I don't ascribe goodness or badness to that. I think it's, it's good for us now, especially because I think it's, um, it's critical that, you know, we're all teammates and we have to be able to and willing to look in on each other. Uh, when I made chief, it was funny. The, one of the best statements I got was, uh, in my charge book was you're the chief now. So where you always had the chief as your backstop, you're the backstop. There's no one standing behind you anymore. Uh, and obviously as you get more senior, that becomes more and more the case. 
Um, and there's fewer people that are really thinking about you. Instead, it's what are you doing for me? And uh, that can be a lonely place. But I, I think we learned a lot, too, from what happened with Admiral Sterney. I know good people were asking about him. His command mass chief uh, was a great guy, uh, is a great guy, and um, noticed and brought to his attention, you know, more than a few times that, uh, you know, his diet had slipped. Um, how are you doing in the gym? He'd say things like that to him. Um, but, you know, Admiral Sterney was um, an incredible professional, but not as personable maybe as, as some of our other leaders are, which doesn't make you open to that, you know, that, hey, how are you doing, boss? I think when you're a little bit more gregarious and, and maybe uh, absent the RBF, you have that op- opportunity for people to come to you and say, hey, how are you? Because you don't look so scary. I don't feel like I can ask you that question. So as the machine gets beat up about how prepared we are or not, um, how are you feeling in terms of your posture Understanding that the entropy is ongoing, how are you feeling uh, that you and CNO are are getting your arms around it insofar as you you can? What's keeping you guys up at night? Uh, you know, now, what else is it that you would need? If you've ever been a part of Coop, um, you know one of the going in positions is that twenty five to forty percent of your workforce that you're counting on to execute Coop will not show up. Uh, some will be dead because of whatever catastrophe, you know, has led to COOP being activated. Um, sorry, continuity of operations plan for those who may not be familiar. So to keep government running in extremists, you know, a nuclear weapon enters the D.C. area and we know about it and we execute COOP. Some people are going to go home, grab their families and go to West Virginia. Uh, some people are just not going to make it um, despite the circumstances and despite what they know their duty to be. It's because it's a very difficult situation when you think the world might end soon and uh, I need to take care of my family because our families are at the core of who we are. Um, my What keeps me up is making sure that people know that the world is not ending, um, that this is this is not going to be even as debilitating from a loss of life perspective anywhere near what the Spanish influenza was um, and other things we've faced. We have faced down difficult situations, um, not many that have shut down restaurants and bars and things we're used to when we're on liberty, but um, it, it's a challenging environment to be sure. But I just need to remind, and I, and I think that sailors right now at least get it, that hey, we're going to get through this and we're going to come out the other side. We're probably going to learn some efficiencies. There's some things we've probably been doing we don't need to, and this will reveal some of those. Um, there are probably different ways we can do things that are better uh, and might keep the workforce healthier and in you know better prepared uh, that we haven't done before, and that's a good thing. Uh, I tell you, walking out of that aircraft for the last time to come home, I never saw so many people cleaning that thing with antibacterial wipes. Usually I'm the only one who's wiping things down and going, sorry, it's just me crazy. Now everyone's like, Hey, can I borrow some of those? <laughs> so I think there are a lot of good things that we'll get out of this. Um, I won't speak for the CNO. I, I feel like I need sailors to understand we're going to get through this. Uh, and there is still a nation to defend. And we still have adversaries who would not mind forsaking 10 times what they what they are affected by because of this crisis if it meant that they could meet a military or national objective that they have been seeking for for decades um, and saw an opportunity because the U.S. took a knee. I was in the Pentagon on 
we uh, executed our coup plan that day, and we had watch teams uh, go to alternate locations. Uh, we immediately put it in effect because we had trained to it. You know, there had been a requirement uh, by the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and by the uh, the president at that time that all parts of the government be be ready and have a continuity of government, a continuity of operations plan. And when suddenly unforeseen uh, airplanes flew into buildings, including the Pentagon, we, we were able to just say, okay, here's what we do. And here are the teams that are going to go right now. Here's the teams that will continue to come to the Pentagon. And here are the teams that will stay home in reserve for the next week or so until we get our arms around that. Uh, but that's really important to be able to do and sort of have that plan. And, you know, many of our young sailors and, and uh, Marines these days uh, were young, very young children at that time, probably don't remember it, but well, a lot of people were saying, how are we going to get through this after 9-11? You know, and the nation, you know, rose to the challenge and the military rose to the challenge as well. So it's a, a point very well taken, Nick Palm. Thanks, sir. Well, our guest has been the Master Chief Petty Officer of the Navy, Russ Smith. Russ, thanks for spending some time with us on the Proceedings Podcast. Take care of yourself as well as uh, the staff around you, and uh, please keep in touch with us. Yes, sir. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. That wraps up another episode of the Proceedings Podcast. Great talking to you, Mick Pond, and uh, stay tuned with us. We'll have more episodes of the podcast next week. Until then, victory begins at the Naval Institute.